They shall not grow old as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. And the going down of the sun, and in the morning, we will remember them. Hello, this is Phil Waite, VK2ASD, President of the Wireless Institute of Australia. It is my honour to close what has been a most respectful commemoration of the Australian and New Zealand Army Corps, or ANZAC, Battle of Gallipoli 100 years ago. That costly fight and defeat is part of Australia's psyche that we particularly remember on ANZAC Day, April 25. Historians tell us that Gallipoli was the first major time that Australians fought in World War I and their exploits and bravery have certainly struck a chord. The Commonwealth of Australia was formed in 1901 and it is the Gallipoli battle in 1915 that has enduringly defined us as a nation. Australia, tied to Britain and just finding its feet as a nation, having formed a Commonwealth out of six former British colonies, entered World War I when the mother country declared war on Imperial Germany and Austro-Hungary on August 4, 1914. Australia was quick to react, as shown by the commemoration and memorial service that took place at Fort Queenscliff in Victoria on August 5 last year. On the declaration of war, Australians fired a shot across the bows of a fleeing German ship at Port Phillip Heads, described as the first shot fired in anger during World War I. At the invitation of the first shot organising committee, the Geelong Amateur Radio Club had VI-3 Anzac on air from Fort Queenscliff, where 100 years ago the German merchant ship was stopped. In February this year, the Darwin Amateur Radio Club as VI-8 Anzac joined the historical reenactment of the epic journey by Albert Chalmers Barella to enlist in World War I. Australia responded to the German threat in the Pacific while under the control of the British Admiralty. A mixed military force called the Australian Naval and Military Expeditionary Force was sent to seize German New Guinea that strategically placed part of the German colonial empire and German New Guinea fell in September 1914. The loss of life there included all 35 hands of the Australian E-class submarine AE-1 in the fledgling RAN, which it is thought hit an uncharted reef. Its sister ship AE-2 was also involved in the recapture of German New Guinea and more about its momentous role shortly. There were notable Australian firsts in World War I before Gallipoli. These included a land operation, aircraft, combat casualties, the loss of an RAN warship, enemy warships sinking and the awarding of a bravery decoration. The Royal Australian Navy tells us that in the last five months of 1914, Australian forces were in a series of actions, including sweeping the Indian Ocean and Pacific Oceans of enemy warships and seizing all German colonies in the South Pacific. Back in Australia, troops were being gathered and trained. With the major enemy naval threat now gone, the first convoy of ships carrying Anzac troops left Western Australia in late 1914. The Southern Electronics Group, VI-6 Anzac, joined the many reenactments, including the origins of Anzac Day that began in Albany. The RAN submarine AE-2, mentioned earlier in the German New Guinea capture, was sent to Gallipoli and ordered to penetrate the narrow opening at the Dardanelles. Under fire from the Dardanelles Strait, the AE-2 made it possible for troops to land at Gallipoli. It blocked the reinforcing and supply of enemy troops at Gallipoli. 
The story of AE2 and the Royal Australian Navy Bridge Team has been commemorated by the callsign VI4AE2 by the current VI4 Anzac operation. The first Anzac landing was about 1,000 strong, but on the first day more than 620 Australians died in that battle. That was repeated at many locations with more troops throughout the campaign in the Gallipoli Peninsula. The Anzac troops faced a fierce enemy in trench warfare and despite diversions, attacks and offensives made little headway and the losses mounted up on both sides. What had been planned as a bold strike to put the Ottomans out of the war became a stalemate. On May 19, 1915, the Ottomans attacked, aiming to wipe out the Australian beachhead. They failed, with 3,000 of their dead. The Anzac contingent lost 160. The Gallipoli battle had cost Anzac more than 11,400 lives and heavy losses from the United Kingdom, France and British India. The most highly decorated RAN unit in World War I was the Royal Australian Navy Bridging Team at first building pontoon piers for supplies to go ashore, then the wharves for troops, and was among the last Anzacs to leave Gallipoli. The sad news of Gallipoli had a profound impact on Australians and New Zealanders at home, resulting in a surge of enlistments in the Australian Imperial Force. A total of nine Victorian crosses were earned at Gallipoli, the Anzac campaign left a powerful legacy and the creation of the Anzac legend, shared by Australia and New Zealand. From it was born Anzac Day. Every town was impacted by that war. A heavy loss of life, returned wounded, monuments erected and avenues of honour installed to honour the Anzacs, then called the war to end all wars. Each year, many Australians travel to Gallipoli or stay at home and attend dawn services, marches, commemorations, reunions and even enter the odd two-up game. The Turkish Amateur Radio Club, or TRAC, was there to greet us at Gallipoli this year and had many commemorative callsign stations for the occasion. The commemoration equally involved the Royal Belgium Amateur Radio Union, UBA, and the New Zealand Association of Radio Transmitters, NZART, with ZL100 Anzac on air. The WIA obtained the alternative AX prefix for all VK radio amateurs on April 25 and 26, the WIA acknowledges not only the bravery of the Anzacs, but those actions that occurred before Gallipoli and honours all Australians involved in wars and conflicts. An illustrated publication of some of the radio amateurs involved in war is to be produced by the WIA for release on Anzac Day 2016. The Anzac 100 program has been under the guidance of WIA Federal Vice President Fred Swainston, VK3DAC, who has organised the enormous behind-the-scenes action necessary. This has included liaison with the Australian Communications and Media Authority on licences and rostering, and the Minister for Veterans Affairs on the use of the protected word Anzac. Publicity was by Jim Linton, VK3PC, broadcast on VK1WIA through Graham Kemp, VK4BB, Included on the website by Robert Broomhead, VK3DN, and run in Amateur Radio Magazine through its editor, Peter Freeman, VK3PF. Put on QRZ.com by Trent Sampson, VK4TS, who also loaded electronic logs on the EQSL system, Club Log, and the Logbook of the World. The Anzac suffixed call signs have had 50 events held throughout Australia, including VI0 Anzac twice from Casey Base in the Antarctic Territory. The outstanding and most fitting Anzac 100 events have attracted considerable worldwide interest. 
In Australia, all the clubs and individuals involved helped make it a success. There are far too many to mention individually. A sincere thank you to all of you. Recently, many Anzac suffix call signs have been taking part in the Anzac 100 Last Hurrah campaign from December 12 to December 20, timed with the departure day from Gallipoli in 1915. From World War I to Afghanistan, to soldiers, sailors, airmen and nurses, it's a pleasure to be able to pay honour via amateur radio to the Anzac spirit and all who have served this country, lest we forget. From Australia, this is VK1WIA and the weekly WIA amateur radio news service on RF, internet streaming and text at wia.org.au. Welcome to the week, December 20, 2015. I'm Graham VK4, Baker Baker. This is the WIA and the National News Service. Another two Aussie balloons afloat. A Pico balloon launched from Melbourne last weekend has been making good progress, crossing the international date line Tuesday, now headed for South America. Andy VK3YT put up the latest in his series of foil-type party balloons, PS57, with its progress being tracked by Whisper and JT9. He has also asked for a lookout for an earlier balloon, PS56. This had a GPS failure, resulting in it only sending data on CW at 15 words per minute on 10.1387. Australian radio invention takes on the world. The world's fastest backhaul radio made in Australia is finding important markets overseas. Made in Brisbane, the microwave links now interconnect the New York Stock Exchange service with the NASDAQ exchange. Born out of the home of Wi-Fi, the CSIRO, comes a company commercial realisation of technology that promises unprecedented speed and latency. To read more, look at Critical Comms online magazine, Faster Than Fibre, the URL, radiocoms.com.au. News about VI90IARU. Felix will no doubt be bringing us up to date with even more countries joining in the IARU celebrations, but the WIA has already seen on a roster basis a number of members activating VI90IARU. The Hellenic Radio Association of Australia had it on four days last week with some 3,000 QSOs. Bill and Diane Main, along with Lee Moyle, operated VI90IARU Wednesday to Friday last and will be on air again December 22 to 24. In WIA Board Talk, your WIA in action. Space Weather Services Review. The suggested withdrawal or reduction to a user-pays commercial operation of the Ionospheric Prediction Service, the IPS, has been found to be not in Australia's interest. The WIA submitted to a review of IPS that its information services, including sunspot, geomagnetic and maximum usable frequency data and other information, is used by radio amateurs to best plan their communications activities. The Bureau of Meteorology, in a public statement, said the review had demonstrated that Australia needs a space weather services and it will be considerably enhanced. This week in Hams Across Australia, it's to Merck and VK3 and to VK4 and the QDG. A nice touch from the Queensland Digital Group and their president, Alan Wills, is an announcement about their Alan Simpson Memorial Homebrew Competition. Alan VK4AAE was one of the founding Queensland Digital Group members he always strived to do his best in any endeavour, but became silent key this year, August 10. 
A competition is to be judged by members present at the August QDG general meeting each year. Those stations taking the VK4 area Q News will hear more of this in the bulletin which always follows this, the WIA National News in VK4. The Melbourne Electronics and Radio Club, Merck Hamfest 2016, Saturday the 13th of February at the Werribee Masonic Centre, 223 Watton Street, Werribee. It's a great venue with heaps of parking and there's major and minor door prices. It's all undercover and indoors. There's bacon and egg breakfast and a sausage sizzle for lunch, plus free tea and coffee. It's the only Hamfest in the western suburbs. Entry is only $6 and doors open from 10am with tickets on sale from 9am. Ticket includes one free draw in the major prize and extra tickets are available to be purchased as well. Call in on VK3 RBW. For more details, contact Andy K VK3 VKT on 0409 160 948. Merkham Fest 2016. We'll see you there. What use is an F-call? As an F-call working DX, you'll spend many hours looking for that elusive contact. Or you'll turn on your radio, tune around, hear a station, call back and bag a new country. It's all there for the taking, one contact at a time. As you operate on HF, you'll notice a whole range of operating skills, from amazing to atrocious and everything in between. You'll hear stations who keep calling two letters of their call sign, or those who run a pile-up for 40 contacts without once uttering their own call sign. You'll hear people who are not sure about their microphone and seem afraid it might bite, and those who are seemingly completely deaf to the world. As you listen around, you'll begin to discern those operators who are doing an amazing job, who, apparently without effort, pull your call sign out of the muck and come back to your first call. And you hear those who say all the letters of your call sign, but never in one sentence or in the correct order. The difference between you and all those operators is that hopefully you have no habits yet. You don't yet know how it's done and you're yet to learn about the ins and outs of what's going on. So starting at the top, listen. Then, listen some more. Understand that if a station is giving out 5 and 9 for everyone, that unless the bands are amazing, it's likely that all they're doing is collecting call signs and yours can be one in the mix. They don't want to hear about your dog, or your antenna, or your radio, and often they don't even care about your name. So, jump in with your call sign, give them a 5 and 9 report, and move on. Kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. While you're at it, don't get into the habit of calling part of your call sign. You have no idea what part of it they recognised, since you're transmitting at the same time as everyone else. You might find that your F-call ends later than most and ends up being the last few letters they hear. Finally, the prefix, the Victor Kilo 6 part of your call sign, is just as important as the suffix, the Foxtrot Lima Alpha Bravo part. Arguably more so, since it tells people roughly where you are, so don't swallow the Victor Kilo 6 when you're giving it out. I'm Ono, Victor Kilo 6, Foxtrot Lima Alpha Bravo. With international news, I'm Jason, VK2LAW. Radio Ham killed in embassy attack. Radio Amateur Gabby, Echo Bravo 1 Bravo Tango, full name is Sidro Gabino San Martin Hernandez, has been killed in an attack on the Spanish embassy in Kabul. The attack on the Spanish embassy in Kabul, Afghanistan, the Spanish Home Office said in a statement, 
by a group of suicide bombers began attacking a guest house at 7pm local time on Friday in the Shapur district of the Afghan capital. The Afghan Interior Ministry statement said one of the suicide bombers detonated an explosives-laden device at the entrance gate at first and opened way to the other attackers. The Home Office statement said the Home Secretary had offered the King's and Prime Minister's condolences to Mr Gabino's widow and ordered Spanish flags flown at half-mast for three days on police buildings and the Spanish National Amateur Radio Society, URE, has expressed its deepest condolences in the tragic loss of Echo Bravo 1 Bravo Tango. Kosovo gets IARU membership. The Kosovo Amateur Radio Association, SHRAK, has been accepted into the International Amateur Radio Union, IARU membership, and is soon to be heard as Zulu 60 IARU. The newest country is landlocked in the Balkan regions of Europe, and the Republic of Kosovo hit the airwaves in 2012 under the Zulu 60 callsign prefix. It declared independence from Serbia in February 2008, but has since struggled to gain international recognition and the status of an entity under the DXCC rules. When the Kosovo government gave the go-ahead for amateur radio in 2012, SHRAK set up a syllabus training and a licensing program. UK Online Survey of Amateur Radio Five years ago, the RSGB undertook a comprehensive online survey of amateur radio in the UK. The data was used in the development of a vision and strategy for the society. A new survey was launched in September and all UK radio amateurs are invited to complete the online questionnaire. The survey will close at the end of the year and allow the data to be analysed. German hams push for higher 5 MHz power. The DARC reports the RTA, a coalition of most of the German amateur radio clubs, is pushing for 100 watts output in the new WRC 15 60 metre allocation. The General Assembly of the World Radio Conference in 2015 in Geneva, WRC 2015, set a maximum effective radiated power in the region of 15 watts EIRP. However, as some countries already deviate from this limitation, the RTA hopes that Germany can have a higher power of 100 watts PEP, the same level Dutch radio amateurs have had since the 3rd of December. Theremin's Bug, how the Soviet Union spied on the US Embassy for seven years. Theremin, yes, the same Theremin who built the instrument that made the Star Trek theme song famous, had a hand in espionage as well, albeit not a willing one, and it turns out his life was actually quite tragic. In addition to that story, Adam Fabio takes a trip through the details of The Thing, a bug installed in the US Embassy by the Soviet Union during the Cold War. It used no batteries, instead depending on a carrier frequency transmitted by the listener, causing the resonant cavity to transmit back the audio from the room at a higher frequency. Pretty nifty, and so was the hiding place, a hand-carved wooden seal of the United States. As another big year in amateur radio comes to an end, with a new year of radio activities just around the corner, I'd like to wish each and every listener a safe and happy Christmas. I'll end this week's international news with some more on-air adventures of Santa Claus, whose Yule log has been looking more like an amateur radio log these days. It seems 2015 has presented more than a sack full of opportunities to QSO with the big guy, thanks to amateurs with spirit, imagination and a little creativity. 
For the first time this year, the Battleship Iowa Amateur Radio Association, using the call sign NI6BB, is providing a round-the-clock connection to Santa's Shack in the North Pole. Organizers who will be spending the night aboard the Battleship Museum say that Santa's own XYL, Mrs. Claus, may also put in an appearance on the HF bands. In New Jersey, the Santa's Workshop Special Event Station W2S is on the air through December 23rd, with support from the South Jersey DX Association and the Old Barney Amateur Radio Club. Never mind Christmas cards, this Santa is sending personalized QSL cards and Chuck W2CCW as serving as Santa's QSL... QSL. And although the Barrow Amateur Radio Club in Bethlehem, Georgia, already concluded their special holiday event earlier this month, Old Father Nine Christmas, OF9X, has just begun the long journey through the land of Santa again, starting at the Arctic Circle, for the benefit of the Finnish Red Cross Disaster Relief Fund. That journey doesn't end until December 28th. So that's not QRN you're hearing through your headphones, it's... Jingle bells. Turn on your rigs. It's beginning to sound a lot like Christmas. From the Amateur Radio Newsline, I'm editor Karen Eve Murray, KD2GUT, and you're listening to VK1WIA. I'm Felix, VK4FUQ, and before I continue, I'd like to wish everybody a very merry and holy Christmas for this year, 2015. Operational News 2016 January Friday the 1st to Sunday the 31st, WIA Ross Hull Memorial VHF UHF Contest. January Saturday the 9th and Sunday the 10th, WIA VHF UHF Summer Field Day. All aboard the Sydney Ferries VHF UHF Contest. Sunday, March 13. WIA John Moyle Field Day, 19, 20 March 2016. Harry Angel, 80 metre sprint, WIA. Provisional day, Saturday 7th of May. The Lee Jennings Activity Marathon 2016. Hot off the UK press comes word of a contest of sorts to be held down under. The Lee Jennings ZL2AL Silent Key Activity Marathon commences on the 1st of January 2016. The object is to get ZL amateurs active on HF by seeing how many days they can have four or more QSOs on any of the MF HF bands, 630m to 6m during the year. A minimum of 50 days will qualify you for a bronze certificate, 100 days silver, 200 days gold, and 300 days platinum. The annual requirement for a QSO is to log a call sign and signal report. All HF QSOs using any mode count including ZL to ZL QSOs. If the challenge of four QSOs a day is not enough, then there is the opportunity to endorse your order by making your QSOs on a single band or using a single mode operating QRP or for working 100 or more DXCC entities. You could do a combination of all of them. For example, 17 meter CW, while operating QRP and aiming for 100 countries. Special event stations, DX Beacon, Repeater and NetAdvice. IARU call signs galore. The latest to join the International Amateur Radio Union 90 year celebration is the Chinese Radio Amateur Club, with its distinctive B90IARU call sign. It has joined many others heard on the bands from IARU member societies including VI90IARU by the Wireless Institute of Australia. Magnus SM6WET is visiting the South Cork Islands between the 14th of December and the 8th of January. He is mainly active from Antukaki Island, IOTA OC083, 
but will also be in Rarotonga Island, IOTA OC013. His cosine will be E51WET. Aaron, BA1AXE, is back on Sable Island until the end of January, signing CY0-VA1AXC. He will be on the air during his spare time and QSL manager is JE1LET. For those interested in working stations located in the Antarctic, there is a new operator at the Bharati Research Station. He is from India, home call VU3BPZ, and his Antarctic call sign is 8T2BH. He will be there for one year and his QSLs will be handled by I1HYW. For VK1WIA National News, I'm Felix VK4FUQ Inningham. Good morning, this is Robert VK3DN with this week's Worldwide Special Interest Group News. Worldwide Special Interest Group's ATV. ATVQ magazine documents MIRSSTV history. December the 12th marked the 17th anniversary of the beginning of the MIRSSTV station, which was active in sending pictures over a period of about two years and four months. For those interested in this historical event and would like some more background information, the spring 2015 edition of the Amateur Radio Quarterly magazine, or ATVQ, has an article called How Did MIR-SSTV Come Into Existence? Back issue copies of ATVQ and cyber copies of the article are available online at atvquarterly.com. Worldwide Special Interest Group's ILLW ILLW scores 100 registrations. The interesting Avery Point Lighthouse in the grounds of the University of Connecticut has been named as the 100th registration for the annual International Lighthouse and Lightship Weekend to be held in August. Dan Fegley, W1QK, joined by others from the ARRL Amateur Radio Emergency Service, will activate the octagonal brown-coloured concrete block tower. It has eight 200-watt light bulbs on a lantern desk that provides navigation for ships entering a cove east of Avery Point and those passing through the Pine Island Channel. Although built in March 1943, it was not lit until May 1944 because of concerns of possible enemy invasion. The United States Coast Guard used the site for training, including radio communications and navigation. Dan Fegley, W1QK and the group will enjoy making contacts and explaining amateur radio to the visitors to the lighthouse. Avery Point W1QK joins 15 other US lighthouses. This fun event has Germany and Australia with about 60 registrations each, then comes England among 22 countries so far. If you would like to read the simple event guidelines or make a registration for the weekend of August the 20th and 21st, then visit the dedicated website illw.net. Worldwide Special Interest Group News Lowdown SAQ on Christmas Eve The Alex Anderson Alternator, a survivor of when signals were generated before the invention of valves, will be on VLF 17.2 kHz. Grimeton Radio Station at the World Heritage Site in Sweden first transmitted its Christmas Eve message 10 years ago. The tune-up is at 0730 UTC and the message will be at 0800 UTC. More information is on the website with a URL in the text edition of this broadcast. Worldwide Special Interest Group's Rescue Radio. Raynet active in flooding. Raynet groups in the north of England and Scotland 
were active during the recent flooding incidents. In Lancashire, Central Lanx Group were called out and the other two groups put on standby, Ribble Valley Raynet having already been called out. Operators were on the ground and sent to attend control. The CCTV Centre, the Environment Agency Incident Room and the Clitheroe Control. In Scotland, Lothian's Raynet were placed on standby. Two Lothian's 4x4 response vehicles were at Harwick and Newcastleton. Cumbria Raynet was called out, but deployment was difficult as most roads were already completely flooded. Patterdale suffered a loss of communications. The groups were stood down when communications began to be restored. Well, that's all the news I have for you this week. Wishing you a very Merry Christmas from Melbourne. This is WIA Director Rob Broomhead, VK3DN. Well, there you go. A nice short WIA National News Service this week, just about 20 minutes. Due, of course, to WIA's President, Phil Waite, VK2ASD, as he wrapped up the big one for the year, VI, ANZAC, and all of the ANZAC activity. Well done to everybody involved with that WIA activity. Now, just a reminder, the WIA is open. Yes, the WIA National News Service is open right throughout the Christmas period. However, the WIA office is closed for the holidays. Yes, the WIA office will reopen Monday, January 11. As earlier advised, no assessment packs can now be processed by WIA exam service until it returns on that date, January 11, along with all normal WIA office functions. However, the WIA website does contain a lot of useful information that can be accessed 24-7 throughout the Christmas period. Try the frequently asked questions section, or if you can't easily find what you're looking for, use the friendly search website function. Yes, the search box is your friend. Thanks, John. I'll never forget that one. Okay, until next we meet, I'm Graham, VK4 Baker Baker, wishing you all a very merry and holy Christmas. From Australia, this has been VK1 WIA and the weekly WIA amateur radio news service. On RF, we thank our rebroadcast team and you for listening. And remember, internet streaming and text of this news is available 24-7 at wia.org.au.